0: So we're going to go ahead and start the reading of today's scripture. Why don't we have us all stand up for the public reading of God's word? And let's have our response reader on standby and ready to go. We're reading from the, second, the book of Second Timothy, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 19. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus.
1: And the things you have heard me say, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer.
0: Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown
1: except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops.
0: Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this.
1: Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel.
0: For which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained.
1: Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory.
0: Here is a f- trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him.
1: If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us.
0: If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself.
1: Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen.
0: Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth.
1: Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly.
0: Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus
1: who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some.
0: Nevertheless, altogether now, nevertheless, God's solid foundation foundation stands stands firm, firm, sealed sealed with with this inscription, inscription. the Lord Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who confesses the name of the the Lord Lord must turn turn away from wickedness. wickedness. Won't you join me in prayer? Dear precious Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful last Sunday of February, as we can see the warmth of spring already on its way, and uh, we thank you that we're able to see more and more joining uh, in the presence of you, like in presence of each other in the physical proximity. Lord, uh, as, as Adam mentioned, we, we still have the coronavirus to contend with, but uh, let this not be something that uh, hinders us from joining together and to make the effort to make um, the worship more and more uh, in spirit and in truth and that by our willingness that we'll show you that we want to get closer to you. Uh, Today we have a very special occasion, Uh, we want to um, have Brother Eric publicly confess his faith and we want Lord uh, to hear a message bearing this. We ask that uh, the preacher would speak your truth with power and conviction and that all of us would be able to receive with gladness. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and right before you. In Jesus name we pray these things. Man, You may be seated. Wow. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Uh, wow. I, you know, actually, I, I mentioned saying, but I think it's been a while. My son, Jonathan, is also joining us. Why don't you wave, Jonathan? Hello. <laughs> uh, also, we have Chris. Chris uh, coming from Irvine. Um, Eric, who has been serving the Bangkok House Church for about 11, yeah, I think it's 11 months, yeah? But, yeah, June, June Hyun is here, yeah. Yay. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Slowly but surely, we're going to have to uh, encourage ourselves to come out here and take physical space and also maintaining distance, being safety, but not to have the safety rule over our lives to the point where we can't even come to the worship of God. Um, Eric has completed his living life class with me, and he was there at the Receiving Jesus meeting quite a long time ago. And just recently, he received a two-part baptism questionnaire uh, conducted over Zoom with me through uh, conducted over with me through Zoom. So, while our message today is not only about baptism, it is about becoming consecrated. It applies to all of us, becoming rededicated, devoted unto God, to be dedicated to His purposes. Being that every Christian born again means one more soul numbered among those who have, have eternal life, we want to read carefully what Paul has to say about what this entails. We have the senior apostle encouraging the younger disciple. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's Kind of a Difficult concept for outsiders to grasp. What do you mean strong in the grace? Strength and grace may sound like opposing words. Strong sounds hard, right? While grace sounds kind of soft. But grace that is in Christ Jesus is the source of our daily strength. It is His grace that gives us the supply, the fresh supply to live another 24 hours. It's in His grace. And the power for a child of Christ to carry on his daily duties, it comes from love. And as I shared with you last Sunday, the suffering that come along are actually opportunities to prove your strength in Christ. It could be all kinds of sufferings. It could be something that is being asked of you to do that you don't want to do. But if you're doing it because of your love of Christ, because the grace that Christ is affording in you, and, and the wisdom that you're... It strikes a wisdom in you to be able to appropriately obey. Well, then, yeah, that's, that's in the grace of Jesus. What precedes this verse when Paul is saying, now you then, my son, you know, receive the strength from the grace of our Lord. Paul mentions that during the course of his ministry, as he's reflecting back, there have been people who deserted him. He's not above identifying these people by name. He actually names them in his letter. And uh, these are not isolated incidents. He mentions that everyone in the province of Asia just deserted, departed from him. Talk about how discouraging that must have been for him. Paul was not a popular figure in his own time. The fact that the gospel is not, is not announcing the absence of suffering in this life but rather the power through which we can embrace the suffering in this life, this is not a popular notion. I'll say this again. Out in the world, we want to try to avoid suffering as much as possible, right? But the gospel message empowers each and every one of us to be able to embrace suffering. Oh, suffering is part of life? Give me some of that. I'm, I'm able to take it because I know the Lord who has taken so much more. Now, just like Jesus, when he was about to enter into his own suffering... What, happened, what did all the disciples do? All the disciples that were following him for three years, what did they do when he was about to enter? They all deserted him. They left him out there, hanging to dry him. But rather than to dwell on his losses, Paul calls to mind an example of encouragement. In the midst of the people that have left him, there were people that stayed put. There were people that were a source of his encouragement. And he actually also names them by name. He mentions a Onesiphorus. And uh, while everybody's leaving him, he had come looking for him while he was in Ephesus in the Asia Minor area, right? So looking back in Acts, we remember that Paul in his journey, they had, he had trustworthy and loyal companions that followed with him, like Aristarchus of Thessalonica and Luke, the doctor who writes both the Gospel of Luke and the, and the Book of Acts. They were actually, if you remember our sermons a few, few weeks back, they were on a, on a ship together that was about to capsize because of the large storm, they could have, been, ended, up, they could have ended up dying together, right? So they went through this suffering together. And uh, these are all people that stuck by him. And Paul counts Timothy along with those people that have stuck by him along his side. So the first point of today's message that I want you to all draw from is uh, that his grace gives us strength. His grace gives us strength. At the time of Paul writing this letter, Timothy was probably serving as a pastor in Ephesus. And from what we can gather through the, uh, what's going on in the letter, what he's writing in the letter, is that Timothy was having a difficult time. Paul is discharging Timothy to entrust the gospel to other men who are not only capable, but also qualified to teach others. Timothy What I have been teaching in public relate to trustworthy, qualified men to teach others. These these may be new words that you're kind of capturing, so just uh, hear me out here. In Christian teaching, there's both orthodoxy and orthopraxy. How many of you have heard that before? You've heard orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Have you heard that before? You haven't, these new terms? Orthodoxy means correct doctrine. Like when it comes to who Jesus is, you have to have the right Jesus. And I'm going to illustrate to you why that is important in a minute. But so we have to have words and teachings that are free and clear of false and erroneous teaching. You have to have that. You think that it wouldn't make a difference, but it does. When it comes to into the spiritual life that we all are to carry out, and it goes into eternity. And of course, orthopraxy is the way in which you practice and live out these teachings. If you say that this is what you believe, this is the correct set of doctrines that you have, then how does your life show for it? So, correct lives, you could say, conducing to navigating through a rough sea. Many, like, you know, there's coral reefs and rocks of sandbars of sin that you can crash into, but having the the correct teaching is like having the correct route. You know where to go so that you won't crash into these things. Now, Paul lived in like this. Paul lived in this way. And no doubt, Timothy also lived that way. Today, these days, in the church, we have Christians who claim to have the correct teaching, but uh, those whose lives and their attitudes, they contradict these teachings. They have, yeah, I have the right Jesus, but there's, in their way of living, it doesn't show at all. And this is nothing new. During Jesus' time, the Pharisees and many of the priests, they knew the doctrine, they knew their Bible really well. But what did Jesus say? Follow what they do teach, but don't do as they say, for they do not practice what they preach, right? Uh, Are there people who live exemplary moral lives who have the orthopraxy, but they have all the wrong teaching? Have you guys seen that? People who live really supremely moral lives, but uh, they, they, they have completely wrong teaching. From the top of my head, the Mormons come to mind. I don't mean to like, take potshots at other, other religions, but Mormons do have excellent lives. I don't know if you've ever had Mormon friends. If you know anybody from Mormon church, if you examine their lives and how they live, they put a lot of Christian people to shame. They live very, very moral lives. But dig through their teaching just a little bit and you'll realize that the Jesus of the Latter-day Saints is an entirely different Jesus than the one we proclaim and that we believe from the New Testament. I won't go into into that because the message is not about them, but it's about the true Christ. Ironically, they claim to be the unique soul-surviving true church. The correct teachings aim for not only the external factors and behaviors, but for the motives for why we choose to live according to, to the worship of the one and only true God in spirit and in truth. Sure, you can put on this performance every single day and dedicate to this correct living, but why are you doing that? If you're living the way like that because of some misinformation, misinfo- then you're, you're going to be wind up misled, vastly misled. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the principle. So when we go back to, when we go back to the, the, the greatest commandment, the first one is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind? Do you have the right Lord? Can you love, can you love the real Lord that way? That's the question. So the task, this is the, the task that Paul is inviting Timothy into. Join with me in the suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. That's the invitation. Join with me. We have a, a visitor, Sang, back there. Sang. If I said, join with me in the suffering, do you, do you go, oh, hot diggity, thank you, pastor, for inviting me into the suffering. Do you, do you want to join in that way? That's the question. When Paul says, join with me in the suffering, the Greek Greek verb is, Okay, it's actually one word. Join with me in suffering in Greek can be expressed in one word. And the prefix, sug, it means together. Like when we, in English, we have con, right? Like when we say, uh, confess Con means together. Fes means to speak. When you speak together, you're agreeing with each other, right? Sug means together. That's the, that's the uh, suffix and, the, and the, that's the prefix. And the suffix pathason, it comes from the, the verb pasco, which means to endure and to suffer and to experience. What is Paul inviting Timothy to endure and to suffer and experience it is the interfix, the little uh, particle of the word kakos, which means bad worthless, useless, as a measure measure of quality, as a measure of appearance, ugly, hideous, as a measure of circumstances, injurious, wretched, unhappy, and as a measure of character, low, mean, vile, and evil, suffer these things with me as a good soldier of Christ. If Jesus is the good shepherd, Paul is definitely the good soldier. It's an apt metaphor because we sometimes forget that to be a Christian means to come to realize that we are engaged in spiritual battle. Do you have any idea how much battle is involved when I come to get, come to bring a when I bring a Sunday sermon message? every week for me is a miracle because you have to battle through the distractions, the ideas that pop into your mind and when you got the ball rolling and you have the message like it's flowing, there's somebody that wants. Somebody from the church that needs a favor for something, so it gets interrupted and then you just go, whatever flow there was, is all gone now, right? I mean, it's, it's a battle every single time. And uh, it's a battle, however, in a war that Jesus our Lord has already won on the cross, decimating the enemy. Jesus completely destroyed the enemy because, what is, because of what is to come. But that's exactly why we don't shy away from suffering. Because of what Jesus did on the cross already, whatever suffering may come, we're able to endure it. And as we endure it, we relate to the, to the Lord who was on the cross as he relates with us in the human sin. The image of the soldier is compelling because a good soldier cannot be a coward and has to be strong. This is because a good soldier is single-minded. The way that Paul uses the language here, is to highlight how uncompromising by nature being a soldier is. If you're a soldier of Christ, other things become mere distractions. You have a singularity of focus. There is an inherent separation between the military life and the civilian life. Anybody here has served in the military? Anybody interested in joining the military here? No one? I know at least two people when I was a youth pastor that has eventually gone to serve in the military. Do You remember Jason O? Yeah, Jason O. Was, went into the military. His older brother, he became a U.S. Marine, and now I think he's come out of it, he's discharged. But there is something of a separation. Once you join as a soldier of Christ, during that time when you're serving, you can't be mixed up in a lot of civilian affairs. You have to be focused. The good soldier of Christ is devoted to Christ, not your own pursuits. You don't get entangled with matters from outside the scope of your soldierly duties. This is only possible because of the grace of Jesus. Every morning when I get up out of bed, I notice that there's me. I have me to contend with. I'm a person, right? But what is more important than me, I put the matters of all my life before Him. He's more important than me. As you are reminded that before Him, we're still sinners. When you receive Christ, we're already out of the domain of sin and we receive the forgiveness, right? But when you are worshipping the Lord, when you're looking ahead and you see, when you look at who Christ is, in your heart of hearts, don't you have the sins that you're still contending with? The seed of rebelliousness that is still kind of like a like a snake writhing inside there. We're called to the death of exactly that. When we come to Christ, we're coming into submission of Him. The one that's the most high. And it's a very safe place to go. It's a very safe place to go. It is the ultimate place to be. It is His grace that gives us courage to continue in the faith. Because if you have a conscience, you ask yourself, you question yourself, but you continue to set your sights off of yourself and onto the Lord. And then you say, you know what, another day. Another day to live in faithfulness to Him. Not faithfulness to ourselves and our self-interest. Not faithfulness to the people that may be useful to me. but No, to Jesus Christ. We experienced a little bit of this during short-term mission. I don't know if you've been on short-term mission, but each time I used to take out my team, uh, we used to move like a military unit, like a squad of like 8 to 12 people. And during that time, we were exactly untangled from civilian affairs. You don't think when you're a short-term mission, oh, did I leave the stove on back home? You don't think those things. You're just in there at that moment. We, co- we focus on his commanding lead. If I'm leading a team of 8 to 12, I'm in charge and in resp- I'm responsible for those people, their safety, you know, their wellness, until I bring them back from Mexico, for where- from wherever it is. And every time when we are receiving his commanding lead, we return with joy that's tangible, not only for the team, but for the whole sending church. So it's a matter of like 10 days we go out and we serve. We come back and we share, we have a few people share the testimony, and the whole church is rejoicing in that because the church sent them. Because during that time, we were consecrated in our time and our purpose to serving the Lord, and there was no question about was there underserving? Was there somebody just being out there for themselves? No. Everybody there were prepared to go and to be uh, dedicated and devoted to him. Now, uh, this is not really suffering that uh, Paul might be talking about, going on a short-term mission, but you know when you go away from the comforts of your own home, you're not you're away from your, you know, your usual comforts, like a hot shower or like a nice warm bed, soft bed. But it is in his grace that we receive strength. Now the second point of today's message is perseverance is rewarded. Perseverance is rewarded. How many of you see yourselves as pretty uh, tenacious? Like you have endurance. I see in our group we have at least one cross-country runner. You still running? What was the longest distance that you used to run? Like a half a marathon, like 13 miles? Somewhere on the thats thats, a, that's a, that hurts, you know. Like around the around the halfway mark, I remember I did that. Knee start to hurt. You want to just quit, you know? I don't know how many of you, of, how many of us here have played sports in high school. Don't worry, I'm not going to talk about my wrestling days. Okay, I'm going to talk about some other sport. But anyway, Paul invokes an image of the athlete, and I personally think that. The importance that, this, that, that American schools play, uh, put on sports is it's a pretty good thing because you learn a lot of things that you can, there's a lot of things that you can learn from sports that you cannot quite learn through books. In any event or support, I, I mean, any event or sport, every athlete or team who competes has to train and push their limits to, to next levels of performance. And what goes into it every time you're training is honest, hard work. You have to work at it. Just by like a show of hands or like little fingers, uh, have you guys all kind of played in some team sports in school? Just give give me like a little indication, okay? We have some people that have, yeah, right? And uh, when you were training, were you just like, uh, (laughs) were you just kind of playing like as you feel like playing in the park, like a piece of cake? It wasn't like that, right? You You had to put some sweat and sometimes there were blood, right, in your training. I don't know if you guys follow cycling, but even for those who you don't, you might have heard about Lance Armstrong. You guys know who that is? Have you heard of Lance Armstrong? He's not like a completely unfamiliar name. Uh, he, he's an American cyclist who won seven consecutive Tour de France, the most prestigious endurance race in the world, as a cancer survivor. As a cancer survivor. His performance was not thought humanly possible. Everybody around them were going, this guy is a freak, how does he do that? I remember this one Nike commercial where people are asking, Lance, what are you on? What are you on? <laughs> you know? Everybody wants to, wants to know what he is on. And then this is what he says in the commercial, what am I on? He says, I'm on my bike busting my ass seven hours a day. What are you on? That's what he says. Have you seen that by any chance, anybody? It's from like an old time, so maybe you didn't see it. But it's on YouTube if you click, click it. Now, that's the kind of rigor that is expected from athletes. It 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 can be seen, it, it can be tantamount to suffering. When you're when you're putting yourself through that kind of rigor, that is that is what makes the athlete heroic. When we watch the Olympics, do you know why that is a like a moving thing? When you see the person that is that is you know in the pedestal. At the end of, the, at the, end of the, the, the event, there's a podium, and then there's a, the award ceremony, right? You have the gold medalist, and then the silver medalist, and then the, the bronze medalist. Do you know why, like when a Korean person wins the gold in some event that's been historically difficult, and then we all get teary-eyed? is because they put, they put a lot of work, a lot of hard work and sacrifice into making that event. They were devoted to it. Now, his nonprofit charity, Lipstrong Foundation, raised like forty-eight million dollars to, sp- to, to, to support programs like for people affected by cancer. Cancer, but it was later defunded by Nike in uh, twenty fourteen after the investigation during twenty ten and twenty twelve. There was a scandal in which Lance was found to be cheating. He was blood doping. You guys know what that is? That's for endurance athletes during. Uh, when during when they're like in the, at the peak of the performance, they will drain blood, a certain amount of blood from their their system they'll store it away, wait till their body recovers that volume, and then on race day, they put it back. So what do you get? You get like a instantaneously like a super you're a supercharged man, you have another extra pint of blood that's circulating in your in your body, so you have like a super oxygen uptake. you have a huge edge over other athletes, right? Now, uh, after this happened, at this level of competition, it's, it's not just a small edge, uh, he was always seen as a kind of a, a phenom, as kind of a freak, a superhuman. But in the end, he was dishonored as a cheat. He cut some corners. So, so many young, art, young athletes, young cyclists that were looking up to him as an idol, they were totally heartbroken. So, when you compete, you compete by the rules. There's some rules that we have to follow that makes you effective, that makes you honorable in the game, right? If you do compete at all. Not making up the rules as you go along to suit yourself. It's because we're willing to, to go by the book that you are able to receive the crown at the end of the race, that we don't get disqualified. There is no honor in shortcuts, and there is no honor in tripping other, other athletes. No foul play. So, so far, Paul spoke about soldiers and athletes. The last imagery that we get is that of the farmer. All three of these, they require perseverance, but the farmer is a special sense of perseverance. Perseverance, like you have to have, you have, to have like a, uh, you have to be able to suffer some sufferings that you can't really imagine. Farmer has nature to contend with, nature. These are things that is outside of his control. You can't control the situation that's outside. of You can't control nature. So much so that back in the old days, in the Old Testament, they had deities, they had gods, gods of storm, gods of sun that these people would pray to so that their crops would receive favor, right? He can till the soil, turn over the rocks, weeding the field, but at the end of the day, in the absence of rain or in the intensity of scorching sun, you can have all that labor gone to waste. I cannot imagine a more disheartening situation than a farmer during famine. He's done all the work and then the weather doesn't cooperate. You have nothing for that season. Can you imagine that? If, I, if it was me, I'd just go, I, I'm done. I don't want to do any farming anymore. But what does the farmer do? He keeps at it. He keeps at it. I, I knew one I know one farmer, well, he's not a farmer. You know, back in AZ when I visited Arizona Mission, there's a brother by the name of Joseph. You guys all met Joseph, right? Do you know who Joseph is? You remember, right? Indian fellow, Navajo. He, because there's no rain in Arizona all the time, there's some certain monsoon seasons, but he has a harvest of corn, and he will grow corn. What he does is that he'll get these five-gallon jugs of water that we use, at the water dispensers, he has like several of those. He will go to his well, and then he will get the water from the well, and then win a wheelbarrow. This man is like I don't know, almost seventy years old, but he will hand water these these things with his hands. Talk about perseverance! I don't know if uh, I don't know if this is the case, but certainly his strength comes from the grace of God. But the reason why each farmer will keep at it is before long, before 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 he takes his luscious crops to the farmer's market, the choicest pick of the harvest is reserved for his table. You get the first pick of the crops. If you are the farmer and you have a beautiful, bountiful crop, the first of the fruits is yours, right? That's why the farmer will continue to do to do at it. It is in its own household that the produce will be enjoyed first. In the same way is the suffering of the Christian, the suffering of Paul, and the suffering of Timothy is with the reward. If you do suffer in this life as a Christian, you will receive reward not only in this lifetime but definitely in the life to come. Ask any shepherd or house church member who has experienced a sinner repent and return to God in his or her house church. Adam, put yourself off of mute real quickly. Let's make this interactive. Adam. Have, yeah. you expe- have you experienced something like that in your house church? Whether you before you were a shepherd or while you were a shepherd where you had a brother or a sister recognize their sin and they were contrite in their spirit? they're brokenhearted about it, and they came to the Lord, and you witnessed them receiving uh, forgiveness? Do you vaguely recollect Yeah. Yeah. Something close? I would say so. Something close? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine being a shepherd without having a, a glimpse of that, or a taste of that. Everything that we do when we gather together on Sundays is leading up to that moment where the sinner recognizes that he's a sinner before a holy God. And when, when the Lord is before you, you realize, wow, I need his grace. And he gave, it, he gave it to us. He gave it to us on the cross. Now, if you witness that, it can give you enough fuel to want to do the shepherding thing for another year another two, three years, five years, ten years. You know, you ask all the shepherds in New Life Church, if you ask them, how long do you want to do this, they will all answer this. They'll all uniformly answer this, answer this way. What do you mean at the end of this? I never thought that this would end. That's how they answer, because they know that their activity of ministry under the sun to point the, the sinners towards the grace of Jesus Christ, that is the reason why they live. And they know that there is a reward. I mean, when you witness that, that's a reward in itself. To put in the hard work, you would say that it's a reward in itself, but there is a definite, tangible reward. Now, what kind of reward is this? Now, perseverance is rewarded. That's the the second point of the message. And I will conclude today's message on a third point, and this is the very crux of the message today, is that the prize is in reigning with Him. Reigning with Him. Reigning with who? Who are we talking about are we going to be reigning with? Jesus is the sole authority of all things, right? But in the last days, the prize is to reign along with Jesus. You know, in the KSC, we've been doing this marathon morning prayer uh, meeting through Zoom for seven weeks. And every morning we hear Pastor Daniel preach through Matthew. And uh, we've been doing this for you know, every Monday through Saturday. Basically every day we're in, in worship of some form without any breaks. And uh, those with perfect attendance are given a prize. And uh, in the beginning, I remember in Zoom, I was looking at the screen. It was like 80 people that started joining. And then those numbers start, start to stagger a little bit. It starts going down, it's a little declining a little bit. At the, at the end of the race, there's about half. So we started about with 80 people, and then 40 people remained. And uh, last Saturday, we had like a celebration. We had like, you know, all the Korean people gathered together that had been joining through the Zoom and, you know, doing the, the worship service, uh, in the morning service. And uh, we had all these prizes. It was like a little alarm clock. I don't know how much the alarm clock is. You know, it's something that you could easily buy on Amazon, but there are all these prizes. And... uh uh, I would have to say that the prize is actually having finished the course, wouldn't you say? Like, just because you didn't receive the, the alarm clock or whatever, would you think, oh man, that wasn't worth it for me to do the 40, whatever, you know, seven a week, 40 days? No, of course not. I just started the fasting from coffee for Lent. And after 40 days of my fasting on Easter Sunday, do you think that my reward will be my first sip of, of the uh, pour-over that my son makes? He makes the best pour-over coffees, by the way. I've been to some artisan coffee shops, and he will always make me some, some of this. I miss it, but do you think that at the end of my fast, that first sip is going to be the reward? It will be a reward, but the experience of having the freedom from a 30-year-long addiction, that I think would be the uh, prize in itself. For Paul, and also as he wants to convey convey to Timothy, the reason why he perseveres is for the following. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. For God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul is, just as you and and I are doing, whenever we're trying to invite a VIP to your house, church, we're claiming souls for which Jesus died. We're claiming souls for which Jesus died. Is that a good, good kind of reaping? Whenever we sow the word of God into these people and have them think about it a little bit, is that really a worthy, worthwhile sowing? Yes, it is. Is it worthwhile for us to persevere in that? Yes, it is. It's absolutely worth it. Um, there are these folks that he's referring to when he says the elect, the elect. Paul is laboring it for the Lord who is risen from the dead, and here's a portion from our text that that is most relevant to the actual baptism that we'll be conducting in a moment with our brother Eric. Eric, you pour, you spell it Che, right? People just say Cho. Okay, it's Che, though. That's the correct way, right? Okay. Here is a trustworthy saying: If we died with them, we also live. We will also live with them. That's the promise. The reason why we live a life, once we're committed to Jesus Christ, a life that is dead to sin, is because we know that we will live again. This, this little small space of time that we're allotted in this physical life is not the window through which we have to experience all the good things. We don't have to hustle in that way because of the eternal promise that Jesus gave us. This refers to the believer's baptism and the new life that follows. Pretty shortly, Eric is going to come up here with me and we're going to go into the baptismal, okay? In the baptistry. We're going I'm going to dunk him and then he's going to come back. Now, the water, water is a purification. We're going to do the purification right for him. We're going to immerse him there. And once he's done under the water, what this symbolizes is that he is, he's dying with them. This, this, uh, this confession is his death, along with Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. Now, a few minutes later after I pull him up, I'm just kidding, not a few minutes, a few seconds later after I pull him up, uh, it means that he now emerges into new life. But this is something that is kind of uh, surprising when Paul says in this formula, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Have you guys ever thought of that? What does it mean to reign with Christ? If you've been following Jesus, if you have been discipled by Jesus and you endure in his way to the point where he can confer to you the authority to make decisions on his behalf, the question is have you endured? Have you endured long enough to be able to do this? Just like the good soldier pleases his commanding officer, that's the thing, the good soldier pleases his commanding officer. Just like the athlete who wins the crown of victory by playing according to the rules, and just like the farmer who receives the first share of the crops, there is reward in heaven. To become co-heirs with Christ and to reign with him. And do you know where we get the first taste of that? It's in the church. We get the first taste of that in the church. For on a long enough timeline, because it takes some time for you to get to know one another, right? It takes some time. On a long enough timeline, what you begin to see is, who are the ones that are actually faithful? Who are the ones that are actually faithful? And and who are the ones that actually love Jesus? That becomes something that's hard to hide. Even if you were hiding it, it will show. And when you look at churches that run healthily in a healthy way, it is these people that take places in leadership because they can be trusted. You understand? That's what the consecration is. It's a desirable position for every single one of us, it's a desirable state. We get a preview of that eternity here at church. And the glimpse of the reward for the likes of Paul, Timothy, it's all followed by in the same line. Now, he says, if we disown him, he will also disown us. Do you guys remember this? When, when Eric comes up here and he makes this, uh, makes this uh, uh, when we do the baptism, this is a public confession. He's acknowledging that Jesus is his Lord, right? There's a part in Matthew where Jesus says, If you acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge you before my Father. What does he say after that? But if you deny me, if you disown me before others, I will also disown you. It's a sharp warning about apostasy. Apostasy. It means the abandonment or renunciation of your faith. To walk away from Christ. You cannot walk away from your Lord and expect Him to follow you. It doesn't work that way. We are the one that follows Jesus. If you know that, then you are already on a good, on a set on a good path. You understand? We, it's, it's the Lord that we follow, not, not Him following us around. Our denial of the faith uh, means forfeiting our access to God. But here is a beautiful thing. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. Now, in the display of our sermon passage today, sermon message, it was the full title was, "Did You Die with Jesus?" That was the first part. The second part of it, can you display it actually, David? Can you go ahead and put the thing up? Did you die with Jesus? It's it, the second part of the message. The 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 title comes from today's today's passage, The Lord Knows Those Who Belong to Him. Now, I want to say that when Eric comes here, he's making this public confession because the Lord knows that Eric is his, that Eric belongs to him, right? Can we get an amen? Okay, good. That's going to make Eric feel a a little bit more settled with this whole process. Who shares Christ's death, his life shall share. They reign with him, their cross will bear. Who him deny, he will deny. Through our faith though our faithful, he cannot lie, nay, he cannot be untrue to himself. Now I'm gonna go ahead and close with the last words of Paul himself to Timothy, just from this text, okay? Keep reminding God's people these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value. It only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself as one, uh, uh, present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Do you guys remember back in the days when we had Awana at this church? How many of you remember, just by show of hands, Awana? You know where we get that AWANA acronym from? It's from this passage right here. AWANA stands for a worker, AWANA. A worker who does not need to be ashamed. I remember, uh, Eric, did you used to volunteer for AWANA for some time? You never volunteered for AWANA when you were uh, serving the children's ministry? You didn't have it then with Pastor? Okay. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. This is a kind of a convicting image because when somebody comes with a, some negative remark and it multiplies, you guys know what gangrene is? It's a medical condition where you have. Tissue in the flesh that has died. Necrotic tissue. And it doesn't stay there isolated. What it does is that the necrosis, the death, it spreads. The death and the poison and the vile stuff spreads, right? So Paul says don't do that. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place. Wrong teaching. Incorrect teaching that's misleading, right? And they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Now when Eric comes up here, that is what I I will be asking him. Do you confess the name of the Lord as your Lord? And then Eric will answer yes. And the second question that I'll be asking him is, do you turn away from wickedness? Do you denounce sin? And then he'll answer yes. And then I'll baptize him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that will be our baptism. And he will be part of this message. Okay? So while I pray for all of us, why don't the praise team come on up and then uh, lay a nice BGM background track. And... uh, I'm gonna turn my wireless mic on after I pray and then I'll make my way into the uh, baptistry shortly after Eric will follow. Uh, dear precious Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your message that comes from uh, Paul's letter to Timothy. Uh, the message, uh, the, uh, the, the images that we are, we are left with the, of the good soldier and the athlete that plays by the rules Um, the athlete that has sportsmanship, Um, the farmer who perseveres uh, even when there is unfavorable circumstances. Lord, these are all very compelling things for which we want to suffer. We want to gladly receive the suffering because to walk your path, it will be totally worth it. And at the end of it all, you even promised to us a a prize, a reward. Lord, uh, if we do reign with you in the future, it's not because we will be qualified, but it's because, Lord, that you have qualified us and you are, you are releasing us into the journey to become qualified. You are the one that qualifies us. Heavenly Father God, um, as we, Lord, uh, prepare our hearts to, to witness this miraculous thing where one of yours makes a public confession before others we ask that all the conditions up there in the heavens, all the, all the spirits and angels are attending, ready, because we know that the enemy will try to attack. We ask that a legion, legions of your angels would come down upon us and create a shield so that the evil one cannot find space to enter through. And we ask that if there's any spiritual things that are surrendering, any hindering things will be released and cast out in the name of Jesus. May the message that we have heard be something that we inscribe into our hearts so that we may be able to receive the strength, the daily strength from your grace and to expect to reign with you as a prize. In Jesus' mighty name we pray these things. Amen. You Um, let's face the. Let's fa- <laughs> Have you received Jesus as your Lord? Yes. And uh, do you denounce wickedness and sin? Yes. Okay. So, power vested by me. Uh, I baptize you in the name of the Father, here, grab me, and the Holy Spirit. Behold, here's a new creation. The old has gone and new has arrived. Come on up here and then, like, uh, please come gather together. We're going to pray over them. Pray over them.